In this episode, we interview Carlton Dennis, a well-known tax strategist who helps millionaires lower their tax burden. He's been in the game for years now, learning from his mother, the great Carla Dennis, who has collaborated with Robert Kiyosaki, Dave Ramsey, and well other financial specialists. Today, Carlton is here to give us all the free game we need when it comes to legally lowering our tax liability. So get your notes out, pay attention, and enjoy. Gang, welcome back to the channel. Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Swaggy C, and I don't even want to do a long intro. We have a special guest in the building. He is one of the best tax strategists in the world. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Carlton Dennis, <laughs> my guy. Thank you for pulling up to the podcast, my guy. Hey, thank you for inviting me. It's a, lot a pleasure people, to be here. A lot of people don't know this, but this is actually the first time and we've been doing a lot of business calls, but this is the first time we're seeing each other in about right. two years. Yeah. And it's funny because we met at TJ Millionaire Mentors uh, Cookout and TJ pulled up. You was there, right, babe? Like, he brought both of us over to like, you was grilling and all that stuff. Yeah, he was right. like, yo, Swaggy, you making money. This is the guy you got to be with. And I was like, eh, I kind of got somebody. I, I, I don't <laughs> know, but I'm going to say what's up to him. And then... uh now he broke it down and he sent me like all your stuff on your website and your YouTube and there's a lot of amazing stuff that you're doing and now you are on the team and you've been helping me a lot of stuff what I'm doing so I really appreciate you bro. Yeah I appreciate being on the team man it's been exciting coaching learning with you and I'm ready for this 2022. No time it is so for those who don't know I usually like to humanize the person I'm interviewing you know right in the beginning and I want to talk about how you got to where you are today especially your childhood seeing as your family is who they are yeah was taxes always something that was big and like a goal for you to like be when you grew up no not no. at all and i think it's like really surprising to people when i tell them that i had no background in accounting like whatsoever and growing up my mother's always had a tax firm worked inside of her tax firm to make some extra money picking up staples off the ground eventually answering yeah. a few phone calls yeah. so i learned how to talk to people and then by the time I was 18, I could help her with all the documents to file a return, but my interest level was never there. I was really? always interested in football and sports, and having that little extra cash working in her office helped me out. When I got on to college, I started my first business, and then I found out when I was in, uh, on a football scholarship that you're not allowed to earn money, of at least not. not when I was in college. So the NCAA sent me a letter forwarded it over to my mom. I figured out I had some taxes I had to really? pay. I got into a tax situation. So that was when I picked up uh, my first tax book and started learning a little bit more about taxes. Graduated from college and wasn't able to continue my career in football. So I got a career in sales while I was living right down the street from here in Hollywood. Um, I'll be honest, um, I brought a lot of the habits that I had in college into the workplace. So yeah. I was spending a lot of money and going out a lot. So I was poor with my finances early on. And it wasn't until I moved out of my penthouse in Hollywood back into my parents uh, that I picked up that tax book again and said, you know what? I have sales skills. You have this tax firm and you don't have a sales team. Do you mind if I create one for you? Um, and so fast forward six years now, I've been a licensed tax accountant and um, I love what I do. That's crazy. Like you had, so you didn't even take accounting in college. Like it was no interest whatsoever. No accounting, no finance classes. I majored in kinesiology and I minored in nutrition. So my whole background is basically on how the body moves. And yeah. I thought I might be a physical therapist. And 
none of that ended up panning out. That's funny because <laughs> uh, me and Bailey talk about all the time that like whenever we have kids, we don't know if we're going to like force them to kind of do what we love to do just so yeah. they at least know it in the back of their mind or just let them be free. And talk a little bit about your mother, because, again, for those who don't know, she is very, very huge in the tax. Yeah. No, very, very huge. Yes, That's an is. understatement. Yeah. And Dave Ramsey's website and book and doing events for Oprah and Robert Kiyosaki. And right. she has a video on YouTube that got like 400,000 views. Like, you don't just do that for tax videos. She is coined America's tax lady um, by CNN and Yahoo Finance. And she's worked hard to get into the position that she's got into. Um, she was born and raised in Compton, California, California, for anyone who doesn't know, that's like the ghetto of yeah. California. And so she had a lot of pride, uh, moving out of Compton to a city, uh, in Orange County where she raised her family, me and my brothers growing up. She never forced the tax business on us. She always told us that this business will be ours eventually someday. Really? You always have a place to come work. You always have a place where you can earn income. And so growing up, knowing that there was that, that shelter, she never pulled us into the tax office. It kind of naturally gave us curiosity. Like, what is she doing over there? Mm -hmm. Why is she sometimes spending late nights at the office during these months of February and March? And so we naturally started to want to spend a little bit more time with mom and understanding a little bit more about what she does. Really? So were there not any classes in college that just taught you anything about taxes, like at the lowest scale? No, the only education that I had for, at that point in time was this statement that my mother told me. I'll never forget. And I was like, Mom, can you just explain to me like what this whole tax situation yeah, is yeah, in yeah. like the lamest format possible? And she's like, Carlton, go outside. What do you see? You see street lights, right? Could you imagine if there were no street lights? What happens when you call 911? They show up, don't they? Would you imagine if they never showed up or if there's a fire? No one ever went. Your tax dollars go to these types of things. So that first just got my brain rolling. Okay, okay. I, I understand that our society and our community, we thrive off of tax dollars. But it wasn't until, like I said, got into a tax situation with my first business. Um, and then later on, um, needing to find a new job opportunity was when the passion started to grow in tax strategy. So you had said something uh, really amazing about five minutes ago. You said you had a penthouse in Hollywood mm -hmm. right out of college. Martin Scorsese's old apartment. How were you able to afford that? I was not able I'm to I'm about to say. That. I'll tell you this right now. I'm about to For say. Anyone who is graduating college, please avoid penthouses. Um, in your first year out of college, I promise you'll thank me later um, because every paycheck that I had was going towards eating out and paying that rent. And that was that it. I, that was it. Yeah. Wow. And how old were you at the time? <laughs> I was 21. Uh, just turning 22 when I graduated. Yeah. And how old are you now? I'm 28. You're 28. So in that seven year span, you said you left the penthouse, went back home. Yeah. And then you started working back with your mom. Yep. I had my personal training business where I was training celebrity uh actors and actresses, which was okay at the time. Like fitness? Yeah, fitness. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, didn't have too many clients, but a few that I, I, I respected. And um, that wasn't enough cash. So I decided, you know what, I will work on this business while I'm earning a little cash flow in my mom's company. I know sales. Yeah. While I joined her company, I realized I'm over here selling workout programs and she's selling tax plans, changing people's lives. Mm -hmm. um, and so that made me make a little bit of a shift. So in that seven year span, when you went back to your, uh, your parents' house, what was the turning moment that made you start to fall in love with it? Cause I see your energy now, like yeah. you are 
head over heels with this in- industry and you help a lot of people. Mm-hmm. What made you fall in love with this and was like, you know what, I'm not just going to help my mom's business. I'm going to 10X it and help it get to this level of sales. So there was two different turning points I had. There was a turning point when I got embarrassed and then there was a turning point when I met uh, the, the professional investor. So the turning point when I got embarrassed was I joined my mother's company. She had already been a successful tax accountant. She was doing tax preparation, bookkeeping, and tax planning. She did not have a specific sales process on selling the tax planning. So I just created one for her. I figured out a pitch and it worked. It worked on six figure earners until I ran into my one seven figure earner who said, show me everything, you know, show me exactly how you're going to be able to save me money on this, on this phone call. I don't want to just be sold on something. I want to know exactly what you're going to do. Matter of fact, can you FaceTime me and we can just go over it right now? And I was just stuck there, stuck in the mud. I couldn't tell him the tax strategies. I just knew how to sell it. I couldn't show him the tax strategies. Uh, I didn't know it. And that's what made me go get my tax license. What happened with that though? <laughs> like, did the guy was like, oh, you don't know nothing or you just didn't call him at all? I, so I wasn't able to face him. I lost the sale. I pretty much told him, I was like, listen, I would need to schedule another call with a tax professional on the phone. And that's when I lost all credibility. It was thrown <laughs> out the door. My ego, my pride, it was hurt, that drive home. I uh, just, uh, then I felt like I lost a little bit of my manhood there. Yeah. So, so what I did was, I went back into the tax book, learned that I needed to get my enrolled agent's license, which is the highest credibility I can possibly get without going to an accounting school. It gives me the ability to prepare tax returns, be licensed in every single state, and most importantly, I'm a tax professional, not uh, not an accountant, so I can show people how to leverage the law. Is that an EA? Yeah, that's an EA. Ah, So that was the, uh, the initial turning point. It wasn't until I met the professional investor that I knew that I wanted to go heavy into understanding every tax strategy there possibly is. This guy came into my office, Chris, and I kid you not, he showed up into my office, I saw on his tax returns, so many zeros, my head was spinning. But what really captivated me was that for someone who was making eight figures, net income after all of his expenses, that he was paying 0% in taxes, how, how? And I could not understand it. I couldn't, you're showing 10 million here, brother. But then on the tax liability line, it's saying zero. And then I ask you, how is your life going? He's like, Carlton, I don't even know what day of the week it is. That busy. Not that he's that busy. He has not worked. And it's because he had built such a big real estate portfolio that he was making $10 million passively. And he was paying 0% in taxes. When he left my office, he went to San Diego with his children and spent the rest of that week t- taking them to SeaWorld. It was a Tuesday, Chris. He didn't know what day it was. And that's what told Yo, me I need to so understand. Wild, right? I need to understand real estate. <laughs> I need to understand real estate. And I need to understand all the tax strategies around real estate because this guy didn't start off as this professional investor. He probably worked for someone maybe eventually started a a business of investing. And then eventually he built up this portfolio where he can turn around and say, yeah, I'm, I'm making 10 million passively and not paying any taxes on it. So you know how hard it is to make 10 million passively. How long do you think it took him to get to that point? He was, he was a middle aged man. So I would say he was probably no older than 48 years old. But one thing that he did do was he partnered with other people. He didn't invest alone. So I saw the portfolio properties that he owned all himself. Most of them, single family homes, duplexes and triplexes. A lot of them in the Los Angeles area, Altadena and different places that you're probably familiar with. But then he had this huge portfolio of syndication real estate 
where he was pulling in all of these other investors because he's developed such a credibility in real estate and said, how about I buy the, the property, I negotiate the loan and you just give me your money and I'll make us all cash and I'll pay us all out and I'll file the tax returns with whoever accountant I choose. Yeah, so he had a joint venture, which is private, and then he, have a, he had a 506B. So for anyone who's watching, 506B is a um, SEC-regulated um, entity structure that you're establishing where you're crowdfunding money. Um, and so he had a 506B crowdfund where he was pulling in accredited investors, people who are making well over 200000 a year, and then he had a fund for joint venture uh, partners, everyday people that he could choose to partner with probably the really high, high net worth individuals where he doesn't want all these other people in those deals. Yeah. That you know, sitting to, on a massive portfolio. Is that similar to Cardone Capital or is it completely Very different? similar, very, very similar. similar, yeah. Wow, so I tell people this all the time, I said it in my last interview that I said, if there's one like investment like to make, if you have the money, yeah. in my opinion, it's real estate, even over what I do in Forex and, and stocks and even crypto because yeah. of the aspect of it being passive. Like, you know me, like you just said before the interview that, I look tired because I haven't slept in 24 hours. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like Forex or the stock market is not necessarily passive. Like you have right. to be there. You have to make the trade. You have to make the investment and keep checking up on it. Whereas like real estate, once you do, from what I'm told, the, the initial investment, you get the property manager, you do all, everything else. It's like there yeah. every single year. Yeah. And that's the craziest part. Yeah. Why do you think there's so many write-offs when it comes to real estate? So you're buying such a big asset and you're becoming a partner with the government when you decide to turn that asset into a business asset. If I buy a property right now and I decide to live in it, I don't get depreciation. I don't get any real write-offs other than the interest on the loan that I'm paying and then the property taxes, which Donald Trump came in in 2018 and slashed all those deductions. Yeah. So he really wanted more real estate investors. If you buy a property which means you're probably using the L word leverage. You're taking a loan out. The government realizes that you're using other people's money. You're using the government's money, the bank's money, and the banks are in partnership with the government. So if you're taking the bank's money and going and buying a property and then putting a tenant in there, you're creating new tax dollars. Boom. You stimulated the economy with the bank's money partner. And since you're a partner, we'll give you depreciation. You can now write off the entire building, even though you only put a 20% down payment or a 5% down payment or three and a half percent down payment. I'll allow you to write off the entire building. And that is why real estate is so awesome because real estate goes up in value. You can borrow against real estate and cash out refinance and then accelerate depreciation. So is there like, is the reason all of that is passive and not tax is because they're showing a loss on their tax returns or no? That's correct. Okay, I'm just making sure. Okay. Just making sure. You know, you know all about just passive. Sure, you know all about passive losses, Chris. Yeah. Yes, and that is exactly right. He showed this income coming in on his tax returns, but all the income was wiped out because of all of the rental losses that he had from depreciation. That's what I'm saying. So instead of writing off a, a building over the course of 27 years or 39 years, you just condense that time period and create all these losses on your tax return. In like one year? One year. Wow, that's mm -hmm. crazy. And so, because you just talked about doing it all in one year and having all these losses. We all know the story of Grant Cardone writing off the $50 million jet. Oh yeah. Talk to the viewers or for anybody in this room who has not heard of it, what happened and how he was able to do that 
so effortlessly without being audited or anything of that nature? Yeah. So first off, Grant Cardone does get audited very often okay. and he's not afraid of audits. But one thing about Grant Cardone is he understands depreciation because he has an accounting background. He does. So he does. And most people don't know that about when? Grant. When? In college? Mm. Grant Cardone majored in accounting in college. Wow. That is correct. That is correct. So most people don't know that he has an accounting background. They just see the sales side that eventually transitioned into real estate, but he has an accounting background and he's really good with numbers. One thing that Grant Cardone did when he uh, wrote off that jet was he called his CPA up, asked the CPA if there's anything he can do. His CPA said there's nothing he can possibly do. He called around, called around, and he eventually called um, the owner of the the Gulfstream Mm -hmm. and said, hey, listen, I'm wiring you some money. Send me this uh, Gulfstream. The one thing that he had to do in order to leverage code section 179 plus bonus depreciation, which allows him to write off a vehicle because he bought a vehicle, allows him to write off a vehicle all in one year, is he had to take delivery of the jet prior to December 31st and he had to place it into business purpose to be able to claim the deduction. So he had to do it that year. Exactly. So during Christmas time, while me and you and maybe some other people were get, getting with our families, he was on his plane taking business trips because he had to prior to December 31st to justify him being able to write it all off in one year. How many? Like just one, one business trip or two? So when you're leveraging a vehicle of that size, and you're going to get audited probably every single year just because of the fact that you have a syndication which is SEC regulated. You're looking at high, high scrutiny. Yeah. So I wouldn't just want to have maybe one day or just two days. I would probably want to have at least a couple of days where I'm doing business and I've documented my business meetings. That is something that he already has to do as a corporation. So he probably held sales meetings. He probably held marketing meetings. He probably held a real estate meeting with his investors um, on that uh, plane. And like the traveling back and forth. And, and then and the traveling back and forth. Justifying it by saying I have to uh, use this jet for that. Exactly. That is so crazy. Yeah. How much was he He can bring his business year? associates on there too and travel with them and write that off and as well. And it's all good. Yep. He can go out of the country, in country, doesn't matter. I saw uh, mm-hmm. a video where uh, he was saying like, you know, it's somewhere between 100, 200, 300 million, like a year he was making, his tax bill was that high. And the Gulfstream completely wiped it out. How was he able to wipe it out the following years as well? Because what he said was, I don't have to pay taxes the next year and a little bit into the year after that, all from that one Gulfstream. So I think people think that he just made one maneuver and it saved him year after year. But as a savvy investor, you have to look at what he did with the tax savings. I'm just reinvesting it into another property and doing another accelerated depreciation. So as much as it saved him that year, and he might have a little bit of depreciation rolling over into the next year, what he did with the tax savings allowed him to buy an additional investment property. So just put it out there. I'm an investor with Grant and uh, uh, one of his syndications is probably one of the first syndications that he did that I got in on. So I get updates every time that he's uh, listing out new properties. So I got an update when he was at the end of the year that he's listing out new properties. This led me to believe that he's not just being stagnant after he makes a maneuver. He's leveraging the maneuver. If I'm getting this much in tax savings, can I park this much in tax savings into an investment that's gonna eventually give me this much in rental losses again? So he's playing a game, the real estate game. That is crazy. Switching topics, that is insane. You said you knew nothing about taxes at 22, 23 years old. Yeah. And even me, when I was 24 and 25, I knew absolutely nothing before I started coming across you and started watching your videos and started talking to you privately. Why do you think none of us are taught taxes growing up or even post-college and we got to figure it out for ourselves? 
Um, when you think about it, there's two different tax systems. Uh, there's a tax system for um, the rich, and then there's a tax system for the poor and the middle class. And unfortunately, what we noticed over this past year is that the poor middle class was heavily reliant on who? The government, PPP loans, EIDL loans, stimulus checks. What does that do for the government? Keeps them in control, right? Now, I personally have my own opinions on why this information is not being provided in grade schools, but I think that the government is so hooked on wanting us to go to school, get into debt, Agreed. which is you know, going to college, right, is another system created by the government. Oh, here's the student loan program, but you get to deduct student loan interest. Agreed. Only $1,500, Chris, Stupid. okay? USC is 100000 a year, right? So when you think about it, these, these are systems that the government has created to allow us to stay in debt, right? So we have the student loan program. What happens when I get, I get out of college? Jeez, I just want to get a high-paying job, yep. right, and work hard. What am I working hard for? To eventually buy a home. And then what am I doing? I'm using the first-time homebuyers program that was created by the government, which allows for me to only put 3.5% down. Now I'm taking on, what, 96.5% debt with student loan debt? And I've never was taught taxes never, in, in, in high school, grade school, money, finances, credit, debt. Who's in control here? So I look at the wealthy class and I look at the wealthy class uh, because of what they do for their youth. Mm -hmm. The wealthy educate the youth, which is why sometimes we don't always see the wealthy on all the sports teams. Of course. Sometimes they're in these other classrooms and doing the other things. And they're learning about things that maybe the middle class and the poor class just don't have access to. And are you talking about homeschooling or actually in school at the same time? I think while you're in school at the same time, you come home getting those dinner table conversations, going on those family trips with your parents, being at their investment properties and learning a whole different game than the person that is living in the primary residence and just showing up for dinner and sitting at the, the table doing homework for the next night. Uh, you, were t you said something about uh, debt and student loan debt about two minutes ago. Talk to the viewers about uh, good debt and bad debt, because a lot of the viewers may not know the difference between the two. I know a lot of people who, especially me, when I was 20, I thought just all debt was bad. I hated student loans so much. I was like 150000 to debt. And even though I was reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which we'll yeah. talk about in a second, I really didn't grasp the concept of, oh, there's actually good debt because I was so engulfed in the bad debt. Yeah. Now I understand it now, but talk to those who may be in that situation. Oh, that yeah, absolutely. Ago. So there, like he just said, um, there's good debt and there's bad debt. Consumer debt is bad debt. Good debt is debt that's leveraged. So consumer debt, running up your credit cards. Um, you know, I personally almost look at student loans as bad debt, but it's really not bad debt. Um, car payments, those are considered bad debts. But having a loan on an asset like an investment property is not bad debt because the property has the ability to go up in value. You have the ability to cash out refinance. So if I'm an investor who is putting a down payment on an investment property that's going to pay me and I'm only sitting on $100,000 and my property is going to cost me $100,000, does it make sense for me to throw my entire $100,000 I have in my savings just because I don't want to get into debt, Dave Ramsey route, or does it make right. more sense for me to possibly put a down payment, leverage OPM, knowing this whole game that we just talked about, the real estate game, yeah. where I can leverage depreciation, cash out refinances. Now I'm in a position where I only put 20,000 down, I'm sitting on 80K, maybe my property's gone up by $50,000 and I'm doing a cash out refinance, just paid myself back that 20K. It's, now I can go buy another investment property. Oh, That's the so game crazy. too. But so many people are scared uh, to, to leverage because of their information that they've been told, right? Go to school, get a job, don't get into debt, put money into your 401k, 
the system that uh, many taxpayers find themselves in. But it's even uh, somebody as big as a Dave Ramsey, who I caught myself, Bobby, who I caught myself like listening to, you know, a lot, maybe four years ago. And mm -hmm. he's just like, pay cash, cash, cash for everything. You're buying a house, pay cash, do this for cash. And I was telling Bailey, we was about to pay for like a $7 million house. And I was like, let's pay it in cash. I'm not interested. Even though it was an investment property, it was just like ours. I'm like, let's pay it in cash. And then I'm starting to realize that that's not necessarily the name of the game because yeah. you're liquidating so much actual money. And I think like when it comes to Dave Ramsey, he had a personal bad experience. Like, why do you think people actually listen to him when it comes to just cash, 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 and don't focus on OPM? I think um, Dave Ramsey has done an amazing job targeting a population of people who are stuck in debt. He has created what's called the Dave Ramsey Seven Baby Steps, where he shows people how to snowball by just starting off with saving up a thousand dollars, then start off with your lowest uh, debt ticket item, and then eventually go to your highest debt ticket item, and just continue to constantly pay things off. And then once you get to a place where you pay things off, you feel such a sense of satisfaction and you almost want to continue to follow along those same teachings. I'll pay off my car now. I'll never pay for anything um, and leverage any loans anymore. I'll pay off my house now. And so a lot of people who uh, follow Dave Ramsey's uh, teachings and methods have adopted his mindset of never, ever leveraging or using debt. And unfortunately, there comes a cross point as an investor, as a taxpayer, where you start to make enough income, where you've handled your finances, you're responsible enough to where it does make sense for you to possibly take some leaps of faith and leverage good debt um, so you can start building your wealth even quicker. So let's switch over a little bit to actual day trading, because that's where like a lot of my followers kind of come from. Yeah. How are day traders taxed in mm -hmm. just in the simplest format? A lot of people have been, you know, asked me to make a video on it and mm -hmm. I'm not like a really a specialist. Like I, I know it to a certain extent, but I usually just give over, you know, all the profits and all that stuff to my accountant, basically. Yeah. How are they actually taxed? Yeah. So when it comes to day trading, you're running a actual business. You're waking up, you're getting on your laptop, you're showing up. So most day traders are going to be subject to federal and state taxes when it comes time to pay their taxes, short-term gains. You're selling and making transactions very quickly. Now, some day traders can make what's called the mark to market election, which treats all of their gains and all of their losses as realized at the end of the year. So you can experience a hundred percent of the losses that you had. Um, in the day trading market. But one thing to, that's really awesome about day trading is that you're not subject to social security and Medicare tax on the income that you're earning from day trading. Unless you decide to switch into an S-Corp and uh, draw yourself a payroll, which a lot of day traders will eventually do, you're not paying uh, uh, self-employment taxes on the day trading income. So I know with businesses, they can easily save you know, money on taxes with, with write-offs and obviously real estate and things of that nature. But when it comes to, to day trading, there are certain countries and places in the world where they have 0% capital gains tax. Mm -hmm. The United States, to a certain extent, is not that. Is there anything that a day trader in the U.S. can do to kind of lower how they're taxed? If, if it's just day trading, let's take away business and all of that. Yeah. Just day trading or once it's realized, you got to give it up. So there's ways in which you can uh, day trade inside of specific entity structures. Um, there's ways in which you can leverage assets to offset your income, such as rental real estate and having depreciation on your tax returns. There's a small uh, tax deductions that every day trader takes, like the home office. If they're even driving, maybe their vehicle. 
and leveraging the retirement accounts, which are kind of the boring strategies that day traders don't really want to hear. The 401k and, and putting money away into tr uh, traditional IRAs that they can't even qualify for. If you decide to go the bigger retirement account routes, you might look at a defined benefit plan or someone might mention to you a cash balance plan. But after you've leveraged those types of vehicles, now you're looking at, okay, well, should I possibly contribute my highly appreciated stock to something, right? So we had a lot of clients last year uh, that established charitable remainder trusts because we can roll over 100% of their capital gains and they're not subject to any of it. Mm. Now they can set up an annuity, which is called a CRAT, uh, a C-R-A-T, a CRAT, where your charitable remainder trust buys an annuity that pays you out, let's just say eight or 9% of that total amount of day trading money that you might've made. Now, let's just say it was a million dollars you rolled over into this charitable remainder trust and you're getting paid eight to 9%. Now you're only receiving maybe 80,000 or $90,000 of that money. Maybe you didn't need access to the full million and you don't want the full million being taxed. Um, and so leveraging vehicles like a CRT, a foundation, and having rental losses on your tax return can help you if you're in the uh, space where you do not want to leave the United States. Why do you think some countries don't tax capital gains but the U.S. does? Ooh, that's a really good question. I think personally, some countries aren't as developed as our country, and so they need they need their civilians to have more opportunities. Oh, okay. And I think that is probably the biggest reason is giving everyday, um, well, they're not taxpayers, they're not paying any tax, giving everyday civilians the chance to have more opportunity. Like like America, we have a lot of opportunities here. Yeah. Yeah. So what is the talk, I'm gonna uh, continue on a little bit, um, I know uh, Janet Yeller, uh, what's her name, Yellen or Yeller? Yeller. Yeller. She proposed a tax on unrealized gains. I know it's not going to come to fruition. I know that was supposed to be for billionaires. Why was that even proposed? And do you think it would have trickled down to the everyday investor and day trader to tax unrealized gains? Um, I don't think it would trickle down to the everyday day trader because if you're making like, let's just say over 400,000, you're technically in like the 1% of for the United sure. States taxpayers wealth wise. But it was initially implemented to attack unrealized gains on income earners in excess of 400,000, which I personally think would impact a very big population. If that got passed, let's just say that got passed, can you imagine the, the deterioration of the stock market? Because so many people would be looking for other ways to invest other than always having their money being taxed, whether they pulled it out or not. Um, and so I, I don't think that that will ever get approved, but it's not to say that it not. could be a pro proposed again. Yeah. So going into like a personal question, do you think taxes are way too high right now in America or it doesn't matter to you because you know how to not get around the system, but per se get around the system? So personally, I think that the Tax Cuts Jobs Act, which was another enactment that Trump made in 2018, it hurt some taxpayers, but then it helped a lot of taxpayers. But the one thing that he did do was he put out enough information to show you how to use some of his tax changes to avoid taxes. So one of the things that was a part of the Tax Cuts Jobs Act was uh, Donald Trump doubled the standard deduction, right? The standard deduction at the time was $6,000 and he doubled it to 12,000. So for someone who was single like myself at the time, um, that gave me double the standard deduction mm -hmm. just being a normal W-2 taxpayer. But what he did for business owners was he gave business owners a 20% business income deduction on all flow through income that you don't per pay personally pay yourself. 
That was huge. We have seen more business owners than we have ever seen. And most importantly, the one deduction that every TikToker wants to talk about is if you have a vehicle that's over 6,000 pounds. He, yeah. he, he increased the bonus depreciation from 50% to 100%. How many, G, <laughs> how many G wagons do you see driving down your- A lot, oh, of oh, course. Hey, do you think most of those G wagon drivers are business owners or do you think they're employees? No, they're, they're probably business owners, yeah, right? They probably spent the money to write the vehicle of off. And so when you think about it, it creates more tax dollars, more vehicles, more tax dollars being collected. So I personally think the tax was lowered from 39% to 37%. Corporate tax was lowered from 35% to 21%. I think the taxes are right where they need to be. I don't want to see them go any higher. I'm about higher. to say, do you think they're yeah. going to switch? I was like, right I don't want to see them go any higher. I don't really want to see them go any lower. I think they're right where they need to be currently. What's crazy is one of my favorite stories um, when it comes to taxes is uh, back in the 40s when they were in wars, uh, the federal tax was in the 90 percentile, which is insane to think that 90 percent of your money was going right to the government. And I heard the story that Ronald Reagan was an actor and he was getting taxed all type of crazy. And he stopped being an actor and went into politics. And Franklin Roosevelt was trying to propose a top federal tax rate of 100 percent, but it ended up going to 94 percent. He proposed that no individual should have more than 25,000 in take home money. Long story short, Ronald Reagan becomes president and it goes from that top percentile all the way to 28 percent. Yep. The Tax Reform Act, which is insane yep. that he just dropped it that dramatically. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think we'll get a president like Trump and Reagan in the future who's so business oriented or I don't know if Reagan was business oriented. It was more so take home tax oriented. Where they Reagan, drop it Reagan again. did some good things. He also got rid of some major loopholes. So he he's the one who created the passive activity loss rules. So just put that out there. A lot of the loopholes that real estate investors used to have, and I'm talking about normal W two employees who wanted to offset their W two income. He came in and swooped down. The reason why is because the United States did a census report and they audited taxpayers who were making in excess of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Of those taxpayers, 11% of taxpayers were paying less than 10% in tax. That is a very big number. And they found out, auditing all these W-2 taxpayers' uh, tax returns, that a lot of these W-2 taxpayers were just parking their money into real estate. They weren't even managing the real estate. It was just passive. I had it managed by someone else. I could leverage all the depreciation. If mm -hmm. I'm a doctor, a lawyer, a chiropractor, a surgeon, making three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars $400,000 a year, I'm not paying any taxes on my W-2 income. That was a loophole. So the government... And uh, Reagan implemented that Tax Reform Act, and uh, he implemented the uh, passive activity loss rules, and he clipped down the highest tax bracket. I heard uh, something about a year ago where they were trying to get rid of the 1031 tax deferred yeah. exchange. Is that really going to get taken away? No. There's no chance, right? No, that didn't get approved at all. Of course that didn't not. even make it to the second bill. No. Yeah, I'm about, okay, I'm about to say mm -hmm. that was a quick question because I, I saw that it online. You said what? That would have been horrible. One, if they got rid of 1031. <laughs> right. One, if they got rid of 1031 exchanges, and then two, they were going to impose a tax if you had a 1031 with a capital gain in excess of a half a million. So if I sold my property and I knew that I had, you know, half a million or more in equity, rather than paying taxes, I could 1031. I could sell this property, roll over 100% of the proceeds that I would have received into my new property as a down payment. What... Um, Biden wanted to do. He wanted to say, okay, well, if you have more than half a million, I want to put like a 39% tax on it. <laughs> that would have been bad, Whoa. bro. Real estate investors win 1031. Of course they not. They just hold on to their assets and not. just borrow against them. Yeah. It's always a way for investors. 
So let's uh, go back to uh, the beginning. Let's talk about your business for a second. Tell the people uh, what you currently do right now for uh, your business and yeah. how it's going. Yeah, so um, Carla Dennison Associates is our flagship tax and accounting company. So I do a lot of consulting for clients who are high net worth individuals. If someone is looking for ways to reduce their tax, they probably already have a CPA and then they find me. So I'll get on the phone with them and I'll figure out what areas of opportunity are they not leveraging. And then they work with my team and it's really fun. But outside of that, we have an online tax education platform called Tax Alchemy. And that is for real estate investors or W-2 taxpayers who want to avoid W-2 taxes with real estate. And it pretty much shows them how to leverage the passive activity rules and how to offset 100% of their income tax rate. The thing I love the most about what you're doing is um, you're posting a lot on social media. Yes. And a lot of tax professionals don't even know the power of social media, YouTube or Instagram. How did you get started on YouTube and what keeps you going on YouTube? So it's funny. I didn't really want to go to YouTube like that. I was always this inter Instagram guy because I was one of the first people, I, at least I thought I was, in my, in my group of friends that had Instagram. So I felt like Instagram was the place to be. When I started my fitness brand, I was one of the fitness guys that wanted to do the little videos, highlight videos on Instagram and pump it all up. But then when I realized that I wanted to switch over to tax and start educating people, I started out on Instagram and I would do Instagram videos and I'd be like, okay, well, I'm getting cut off here. I can't really explain everything I want to explain. Not and true. then I have to jump in the comments and start explaining it in the comments. So then I started dropping the videos on YouTube and I was only filming with my iPhone at the time. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until I started, I didn't even know YouTube allowed you to comment. It wasn't until I started reading down in the comments, they were like, dude, buy a camera, get some film equipment, look at some lights. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. my buddy who lived at my apartment complex, his name is Charlie Chang. He has over half a million subscribers. Oh, I know Charlie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great guy. He was like, yeah, dude, I'll come over, look at your spot and see what you need. He jumps on my computer and orders, I don't know how much of stuff off Amazon. It all showed up. He helped me set it up. And uh, that's how I was able to create my studio. We started uh, rolling out YouTube last year and it's, uh, it's been really fun. I enjoy it. Yeah, no, your, your studio is amazing. But also your YouTube is very, very informative. Like you have top five mistakes for LLCs and like you, you kind of explain things, even though like you do tax like strategists or strategies for millionaires like a lot of your information can not be applied but like people can take value in all types of your videos even if they're making six figures or a little bit less than six figures oh yeah i love your content the one thing i think you're missing is i've been telling you this for a year now is a secure the swag type of platform you need a videographer to follow you on at least <laughs> once a week because I think that a lot of people, like I said, me, love your content, but they don't yeah. know what, who you are, what you do on like a behind the scenes, the behind stuff. the scenes on a day to day basis. Mm -hmm. You know, I know you're you're traveling here for an interview to to talk to to me on this podcast, but you're yeah. also on the phone in the car with TJ talking about, oh no, don't do this, do this, blah 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 blah, and then you're going back home to somebody else. That's right. And I think that would probably take your content to the next level because with me. It took mine to the next level. Yeah. Like people were seeing all the day trading videos and it was all good. Nobody requested it. Yeah. But when I put out like a lifestyle, I'm, I'm saying nobody, nobody asked for it. Yeah. But when I put it out and they're like, oh, nah, this is different. And that accelerated my, you know, YouTube because people don't notice I had maybe 2,000 subscribers in 2020. Yeah. I had 30,000 when I started Secure the Swag. And then at the end of 2020, I had 310,000 subscribers because people started <laughs> to see day trading, but then there's like- The oh, lifestyle It's stuff. too much information. So mm -hmm. the lifestyle kind of takes it to another level. Yeah. Do you ever in the next few years see a videographer following you around to a certain, just a little bit? Okay, so first off, I take everything that you tell me extremely to heart. So when you did have that conversation with me, which I believe was about six weeks ago, I told my videographer, we need to create a series that allows for me to be able to do what I love to 
doing, but you're also going to follow me around all Mobile. Day. Yeah. You're also going to follow me around. So we <laughs> sat down with this copywriter and he like came up with this great idea. And so we decided to run with it. We created this series called is this deductible? So I'm pretty much traveling around every day, meeting up with my clients. I have clients, Chris, that do all different types of things. Sure. Chefs, you name it, boxers, like the big ones. Boxers? All oh, all, box. Yeah, all what types of entrepreneurs. And so I'm pretty much going to spend time with my clients going around and fi figuring out what we can write off every single time I'm with them. Whether it's in their environment or in my environment, we're going to make it fun and they're going to see a different side of me. And I think it'd be something that you would enjoy too. If I we would got on love an it. Together. I swear, I'm telling you, I love <laughs> lifestyle content, especially the behind the scenes of business owners. Like I yeah. watch it all the time, especially when like Logan or, or Logan Paul or even yeah. Grant Cardone does like a, oh, this is where I'm at before I'm doing a webinar in front of all my sales team. I'm just like, yeah. wow, that is so dope. He's really like running things to the highest level. Yeah. I can't wait to see that once it actually uh, releases. We've already started working on it. You should see it soon. You have a, a, a course yep. that is, is coming out or it already dropped. Yeah. So it got dropped to my private group. It's getting released to everyone else, like the general public on uh, next Thursday. Next Thursday. Yeah. So it's like anybody. Yeah. Okay. So that will be in the description in this video. Yeah. So I have a, uh, I'm telling <laughs> you, so I have a few more, um, I have like two or three more questions just for like average business owners. So what should the average business owner do at zero? And this is not even a tax related question, but this is just to like advice to business owners when they're at zero. Cause you were at zero before and I was at zero before. If somebody wants to start a business in whatever field they love, what is the first thing you think they should be doing? What should they be focusing on? Find someone who's already found success in it and likes it. That is the number one thing. I was not going to go hard in this whole tax strategy thing. If I didn't already see somebody enjoying it, my mother loves what she does. Right. And she has the ability to control her time. And that was the one thing that I really wanted a, a position that uh, that fulfilled me where I was giving and I was helping others, but had the ability to control my time. And so you kind of have to align yourself to understand what are the things that you value the most. Find the people that are doing those things that align with you and then figure out if it's a role that you can see yourself doing, because at the end of the day, not every role is meant for you. And so that's my advice. There was one thing you told me on our private call. And um, I want you to talk to the viewers about it as well. When it comes to those who are in their business and they're making a good amount of money, why isn't it as feasible or as smart to have their wife on payroll per se? Oh, that's a good one. Um, it increases your payroll taxes. There's only certain instances where we place our spouses on payroll. We want our spouses to be shareholders underneath our business. So my spouse is an owner underneath one of our corporations that we have. She has the ability to take write-offs and do a lot of the things that I do. Matter of fact, everything that I can possibly do. Only one shareholder needs to draw a salary out of an S corporation. Um, and so when you're building your uh, business, yeah. you want to kind of be conscientious of your finances. And if you're filing taxes with your wife, and you're paying your wife, aren't you increasing the both of your taxes? So it might make more sense to kind of figure out if it makes sense to have both of you guys on payroll or just one spouse on payroll. A few more quick ones. What's the biggest uh, difference in tax advice that you have to give with somebody who's making six figures versus somebody who's actually a multimillionaire? The biggest difference in tax advice that I have to give someone who's six figures versus someone who's seven figures is the person who's six figures is afraid to move the money around. The person at seven figures is like, dude, where do I win? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me. Because they know. Show, I'm at the bank. <laughs> I'm at the bank. I'm at Chase. His, na his name is Ron. He's in front of me. Where do you want Ron to move the money? Like, those are my seven-figure earners. They don't blink an eye. 700, Carlton, 800, a million. Got it. It's moved. Bro. My six-figure oh. earners, I have to really move this money. Are you sure? Hey, man, do you want to give it to the government? Or you, yeah, or yeah, you yeah, just yeah, want to yeah. park it somewhere where I'm telling you to park it? So I think that's the <clears> biggest <throat> thing. 
um, with the six figures earners is adopting the fact that they're actually doing tax strategies. It's, Whereas the seven figure earners realizes, okay, there's a bigger game. I was just waiting to, of course. to play it. It's so funny because <laughs> I remember that story so vividly about where to park the money because we had a conversation. I don't remember last year, not, oh, th- yes. not last year, 2021, 2020. Never forget. It was December 31st and we had to move close to half a million dollars to a certain place. It was like a little more than that. A little more than that, right? Yeah. And I'm not, <laughs> I don't remember, it was long ago. And I'm sitting in the bank stressing because there's a long line yeah. and it closes at five. It's like 3.30 and if I don't do this by five, it's gonna be New Year's yeah. and it's over for that money. And I was calling you 10 times, over, yes. blowing you up on New Year's Eve. Yo, they said this, they said that, they said that. And then we got the money moved over, but I know how yes. stressful it is. I was is like, tell them this, tell them that. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it was crazy. That was awesome. Yeah, no. Carl, I don't like being in those situations. I hate it. I hate it. I it's hate like, it. It's uh, like being like helicoptered into the emergency room. I'd rather you come in through like the doors where my nurses are. You could sit down and give you a glass of water. Oh, it's like you're held <laughs> hostage. Bro, you were held hostage because I knew it was under his wifey and all that stuff. I'm just like, bro, yeah. answer the phone. I'll call you five times. I don't care. I'm not paying this much money. And I'm always going to be there too. Yeah, I definitely appreciate it. Carl, and it was amazing to have you here. One last quick question. What is your favorite tax book? to give to the uh, average person who wants to learn more about it. You Is know, it- my favorite tax book it comes from uh, Robert Kiyosaki and Tom Wheelwright, two people who saved me when I was in college. I found their book and started reading it before I had access to all of my mother's content, which is just baffling in itself how much information that she has. But uh, the book is called Tax-Free Wealth, um, second edition. And I definitely recommend getting it both in the audible and in the physical version, because once you listen to it, which I do recommend listening first, because it's hard to read a textbook. So I recommend listening first and listening how you hear stories. Then you can go to the textbook and say, oh, okay, this makes sense. Let me highlight this. This makes sense. Let me highlight this. And now I understand how people are building wealth, leveraging the taxes. That's how I felt with tax-free wealth when I first read it. Even Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and Cashflow Quadrant when they were saying a bunch of different things. And it's like, when I first read it at 18, 19 years old, I didn't know what the hell they were talking about. And then I reread it at 23, 24, 25. And every single word made perfect sense. So I do think people need to take their time and they read certain things. Without a doubt, it is so powerful to get into the books. I think personally, most people um, have everything that they need right in a book. It's just whether or not you're going to be disciplined enough to actually do it. Oh, 100%. 100%. My advice to everybody is that like, I'm not saying anybody can be a millionaire, but like, I have a library in in that room with over 300 books. I swear anybody can go in there and take the next 10 years and read them all and actually try to apply it and they can make six figures or seven figures. It's just the discipline, the consistency that it's hard to follow. Full heartedly. Carlton, I appreciate you coming through. Everybody, anybody have any more questions for Carlton or is he good? (laughs) You're free to go, my guy. (laughs) Oh man, appreciate having me on. My guy, before we, uh, before we cut the cameras off, tell yeah. my followers where they can find you at so they can reach out to you. Yeah, guys, you can follow me at uh, Carlton Dennis with a K everywhere. Um, I'm on YouTube, podcasts, Instagram, TikTok, anything that you can have a camera associated with it, I'm probably there. I'd love to see you and I'd love to connect with you and we'd love to help you build a tax plan. My man. Guys, thank you for tuning in for another week and we will see you guys next week. Gang. Bow. Good job, team. My oh, guy. Nice.